1 John chapter 4. We're going to begin reading in verse 7 and read through the entire chapter through the end. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. We know that we live in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the son of God, God lives in him and he in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. In this way, love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment because in this world we are like him. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love Because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he is a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And he has given us this command. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. This is God's word. Well, we are studying four graces of the Christian life, four key graces of the Christian life, and we're seeking to memorize not only them, but their main activity. What is it that these graces do in our lives? So it's quiz time, and you tell me the main activity. Humility, the great emptier, faith. Love and hope. Now, those last three, faith, hope, and love, are often found together in the scriptures and are seen as chief graces. And we've added humility to that because that is the soil out of which all grace grows. Now, this morning, uh, yes, so, so there we have it. Uh, The four graces and this morning we're moving on then uh, to love the great giver. That means we're halfway through uh, this series. So let's keep growing downward in humility, upward in faith, and now outward in love. A love that gives. Now, in our study on faith, we went to the faith chapter, Hebrews chapter 11, for some of our 
instruction on what faith is and what faith does. Uh, is there any chapter in the Bible that might rightly be called the love chapter? Well, you're smiling. First uh, Corinthians 13. It's all about love. And so that might as well be called the love chapter. Pastor Jason recently took us through that in our afternoon uh, luncheon uh, services. And so we'll not be preaching through it. I just want to draw your attention to the last verse, 1 Corinthians 13, 13, that you're very familiar with. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Love. Why is it the greatest? Well, we've mentioned that uh, it's the greatest because it lasts the longest. Faith will one day be turned to sight. Hope will one day be turned to fruition. But love will just go on and on. Through the endless ages, there will be love. Indeed, Jonathan Edwards called heaven a world of love. But this love doesn't wait until heaven. This grace begins in the heart of God's children here and now. It's one of the chief graces of the Christian life, right here, right now, in this world without love, a world that is hating and being hated, God has a people who are experiencing his love in a life-transforming way that has made them and is making them more and more a people who love, a people known by their love. So true is that, that the Apostle John can say, this is how we know who the children of God are. They love. The Lord Jesus said it on the Sermon on the Mount. Love your enemies, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. He loves his enemies, and so do all his children. The Apostle Paul, now about brotherly love, he writes to the Thessalonian church. We don't need to write to you because you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. Do you know that's a lesson that God personally teaches every one of his children? To love one another. We don't need to write to you. God has taught you to to love one another. And that's why it's found in all of his children because God knows how. To put love in the inward parts and to really teach us to really love. Jesus says they will all be taught of God. Speaking of his children. Every one of them taught by God. And one of the first lessons he teaches us. And that he just keeps teaching us all our life long is to love one another. And so Paul says to the Thessalonians, you don't need me to write to tell you to to, to love one another. You've been taught by God to love each other. And in fact, you do love all the brothers throughout Macedonia. Yet we urge you, brothers, to do so more and more. So the best that I can do for you who have been taught by God to love one another is simply to urge you to do it more and more. And more, even as we seek to grow in every one of these graces, more and more. So what is the main activity of love? Well, it says it's the great giver. And and that's not hard to to see in the scriptures, is it? Uh, Some of our favorite verses of the Bible show this. John 3.16. For God so loved the world 
that he he gave. And the measure of his love was was not to be found in us, but to be found in the one he gave, his one and only son he gave, that whoever believes in him might not perish but have everlasting life. Uh, Favorite verse of many of you wives, Ephesians 5.25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Galatians 2.20, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So just as real saving faith, as we saw last week, is not something dead, but active. It it does things. It, it, It expresses itself. Even so, all real love is active and gives. In fact, love's very nature is to give. Love delights to give. Love's heartbeat or impulse is to enrich others by giving of oneself. So love cannot not give. Can I say that again? Love cannot not give. That's what love does. That's what love is, the impulse to give. Any more than the Son cannot not give to us here on earth. Its very nature is to be constantly giving off its light and heat and energy. It can't help doing so. It can't keep it in. It's the Son, after all. And that's its nature. To burn, to give. Even so, wherever God's love is found, whether in himself or in his people, it will be giving. It will be diffusing. It will be spreading outward to others. On my bedstand is a diffuser. It's just a little uh, container holding about a cup of water. You can put a little peppermint oil in there if you like or other oils. Why is it called a diffuser? Because it diffuses. It dispenses, it disperses, it distributes, it spreads. It it gives out all that's on the inside of it. And so little droplets are scattered all to all in the room. And that's love by its very nature. It can't stay bottled up inside. No, it must give itself to others. By nature, it's diffusive, it's spreading. Now, that's what we mean then when we say that love is the great giver. It is ever giving. That's the nature of love. Now, in our series, we're going to to notice that the Bible teaches us that love flows in two directions. Love gives Godward and love gives manward to our fellow men. And that's that's just uh, tracking with the two greatest commandments that God has given to us. To love the Lord our God with all of our hearts and soul and mind and strength. And to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. So love goes two directions. Godward and manward. Now the Bible is eager to tell us and to show us that God is love. We read it in 1 John chapter 4 verses 8 and verse 16. So any worthy study on love must begin here. With God's love. 
He's the fountain, the source of all love in the universe. And did you know that God's love flows in the same two directions? Godward and manward. And we may not think much of the former, of God's love Godward. We're always thinking of his love manward. But we need to think of his love Godward for many reasons. Long before there were people, people to love. Before God ever created the heavens and the earth, Adam and Eve. Forever and ever, without beginning, this one God has existed in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Not three gods, one God in three persons. We, we call, refer to this mystery as the, the Trinity. Try three Unity, one. The three in one. And so for all the eternal ages past, when there was nothing else in existence, but this God who is love, whose very nature is love, that's what he is. We, we wonder, well, what was he doing all that time before creation? Well, let me tell you what he was not doing. He was not a frustrated deity with all this love inside bottled up without objects to love. It is a seriously defective view of God to think that he created man because he was lonely and needed someone to love. Not in the slightest. Only man would be so proud as to make himself the center of the universe. No, because within God was and is this Trinitarian world Of perfect love. So for all eternity past, God the Father has been loving, lavishing love upon God the Son. He is the Father's delight and pleasure to look upon and love his Son. And for all eternity, the Son of God has been basking in the love of God, his Father. And has been returning that love back to the Father. And for all eternity, God the Father and God the Son have been pouring out, loving on the Holy Spirit of God. And the Holy Spirit of God has been loving God the Father and God the Son. There was no shortage of love or objects to love. Love was giving. Love was flowing freely all around within that fellowship of shared love within the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It it was not out of need that he made us then, but for his own pleasure and glory that he freely chose to create a new channel in which to express the wonder of his amazing love. So as long as God has been God forever, he's been loving, for God is love. And as long as he's been love forever, he's been giving. For love gives. That's its very nature. And it's been giving within this fellowship of love within the Trinity. Now let me ground this in scripture. John 17 and verse 24. Jesus is praying to his heavenly father. So we have God the son talking to God the father. On the evening of completing his mission. In the morning, he's going to lay down his life for all those that the Father has given him. And he says to his Father in verse 24, John 17, Father, 
I want those you have given me to be with me where I am. That they may see my glory, the glory you gave me because you loved me before the creation of the world. I'll notice several things. Father, I want those you have given me. Oh, there are people who are a love gift from the Father to the Son. Love gives. And God the Father gave a people to his Son. I want those people that you have given me to be with me where I am to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you love me before the creation of the world. Notice not only were a people given to Christ, but glory was given to Jesus, the son, because of the heavenly father's love for him. Love gives, gave him people, gave him glory. But notice the time of this love, the glory you have given me because you love me before the creation of the world. Now that takes us right back into eternity past. Before there was anything but God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Many questions abound about what God was doing all for, for those eternal ages. But here in Jesus' prayer to the Father, we have one of the rare peaks into that eternal past. And what we find is love. Love between the Father, God the Father, and God the Son. In Isaiah 42, when God speaks of his coming Messiah servant, he, he says, he's my chosen one in whom is all my delight. He's been his delight for the eternal ages. At his baptism, what does the Father, God the Father, say of his son? This is the son of my love in whom I am well pleased. He's loved him for eternity and been well pleasing to the Father for all eternity. So God's own love, you see, flows in two directions, and we must not forget this first one. Uh, before we think of his love for us, we must first think of his love Godward. Within the Trinity, a fellowship of love. I say it's critical to holding a right view of God God is no self-centered, preoccupied with self, being turned in on himself, the essence of selfishness. No, no, there's this wondrous outflow of love within the Godhead between the Father giving to the Son, the Son to the Father, the Father to the Spirit, the Spirit to the Son, all around, love all around, giving, giving, giving. Because love is the great giver, and it's that way in God himself. Toward the members of the Godhead, the persons of the Godhead. But then we think of God's love flowing manward. Well, that there is even such a thing as man is evidence of God's love. For God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit took counsel together. And they decided to create a universe with man, male and female. Made in his own image is the crowning work of creation. You remember Genesis 1, 26 and 27. He says, let us. Let us. That's the counsel. Let us make man in his own image. There's the trinity of love. Deciding to create mankind. And when God had made Adam, oh, the love that he lavished on him and, and gave him. Because love is giving 
He gave him a wonderful world of delights to live in with noble work to do in the paradise, the garden paradise. Uh, He gave him a day of rest from his work, that work to rule over and subdue the whole earth uh, and bring it into the service of mankind. A world of delights in, in a wife, Eve, a perfect companion and helper in his task. But by far the greatest wonder of God's love to Adam and Eve was to welcome them into the fellowship of this Trinitarian love circle that had been going on for eternity. And they are now brought into that fellowship. Not that they become gods and become part of the Godhead, but they're welcomed into that circle of loving fellowship. To have God come and walk and talk with them. In the cool of the garden at evening. To have him expressing his mind and his thoughts and his plans. and uh, As we find in these opening chapters of our Bible. But God's love broke out in an even greater wonder. When after our first parents rebelled and came under God's curse. And were thrust out of the garden and separated from God by sin having plunged themselves into eternal misery, oh, then did love hit a new gear. Then did love shine forth. Indeed, it took their sinful rebellion to demonstrate the depth of God's love. That upon sinning and rebelling against God, God should turn and announce to them a way of salvation, a way back, a way back into the fellowship that sin had broken away back into this this wonderful love circle of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, whereby they could have their their sins forgiven and enjoy this fellowship with God in love. But it would only happen at great cost to God's love, a cost that would stagger our belief, even the cost of his one and only Son, the son of his love who had been his delight for all eternity. It would take him, the righteous one, dying for the sins of the unrighteous ones to bring us back to God, to bring us back into that fellowship of love. We have a a wonderful uh, remark on this fellowship uh, in 1 John chapter 1, John loves to write about love and his gospel, but also in his epistles. And he opens his epistle uh, talking about uh, him who was from the beginning. Oh, that's the Son of God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was... He who was from the beginning, the Word of life, he calls him. And John says, the life appeared. He, he was from the beginning. With God. But the life appeared down here. And we have seen it. That's an apostolic we. We, the twelve, we lived with him. We beheld his glory. And we've seen him and testified to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life. Which was was with the Father. And has now appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard. So that you also may have fellowship with us. Us believing apostles. And our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son. You see, Jesus Christ 
He was forever with the Father. He's appeared to us. And it's only in and by and through him and his saving work that we now have fellowship with God the Father and God and his son, Jesus Christ. And then brought into this love circle of fellowship, we then learn that, you know, there's never been a time when God hasn't loved us. John chapter, Jeremiah uh, 31, 3, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I've drawn you with cords of loving kindness. Psalm 103 and verse 17, from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him. Believer, child of God, there's never been a time when God has not loved you. Even when you were nothing more than a thought in his mind, a planned child. He loved you then. And in love, he chose you and predestined you to be adopted as his son. Ephesians 1, 4 and 5 tells us. Believers are welcomed into this Trinitarian fellowship of love. And we can know this amazing love of the father for us as his now as his adopted sons. And we can know this this wonderful love of God the Son as, as our elder brother. And this love of God the Spirit as, as the one who indwells us as our comforter and our helper. And we can do this because Jesus has brought us right into this wonderful fellowship of love. So God's love has this twofold direction. Godward among the members of the Trinity, manward with each person of the Godhead, Father loving his children, Son loving his brother, and the Holy Spirit loving those he comes to indwell. So, why do we start our study on the Christian grace of love with God's own love? Well, a couple reasons. Because God's love is the fountain and source of all love in the universe, in your heart and mine. God's love is the fountain. It begins here in the heart of God, in God who is love. And we're going to see that our love is to flow in the same two directions, Godward and manward. But left to ourselves, we don't have that kind of love that God has. He's the only source. That's why we start with him. And second, growing out of that, because all of our love is simply the response to God's love. We had it read for us, 1 John chapter 4 and verse 19. In John's discourse in love, he doesn't want us to miss this fact, that we love because he first loved us. We love because... His love causes our love. The King James inserts the word him. We love him because he first loved us. And that's true, true enough. We never would love God had he, had he not loved us. If God had waited to love us until we loved him, he, he, he'd have waited the endless ages. Because the only reason we love him is because he first loved us. His loving us gives birth to our love for him, not the other way around. He loved us when loveless and unlovely. And yes, it's true. We love him because he first loved us. But, 
But the hymn is missing in the, the original. So it just says, we love because he first loves us, first loved us. And I believe it's true both ways. We love manward, we love Godward because he first loved us. And apart from experiencing his prior love, we never would or could love others any more than we could love God. Not with, not with real love, not with God's kind of love. And the context of this verse is pushing us in both directions. We wouldn't have loved God and we wouldn't have loved our fellow man. But his love is the cause of both. And we love God and we love our fellow man because he first loved us. You can't do either without first experiencing his love for you. In other words, the outflow of your love is no greater than the inflow of your love. You got a pitcher of water. How much water can you pour out? Only as much as poured in, right? How, how much love can you have for God and man? Only that which you have received from God. Only that which you have experienced and entered into. The inflow of love determines the depth of your outflows, your giving of love. That's why we begin our study on the grace of love with God's love. It's the source of ours. Ours is simply the response and result of his prior love for us. That means if I am suspicious and doubting God's love for me, then my love for him and for you all is going to suffer. It has to. I have no love but what I receive from him. And if I'm suspicious of that love and not living upon that love, I won't have that which to give you or back to him. And conversely, the more I'm basking in the warm sunlight of God's love for me, the more my heart will warm to love him in response and to love you in response to God's prior love. So, application, when your love for God is growing cold with no holy heartburn for him, uh, so, so, no longer amazed at God's love, or when your love for others is wearing thin and you're giving little and you're demanding much, it's a warning light on the dashboard of life, blinking, check the engine, check your heart, have you been drinking deeply of God's love for you? Have you been swimming in the ocean of God's love or dragging yourself along the dry desert of this world where there is no love? Unimpressed, underwhelmed, unamazed, unmoved by God's love. Oh, it's then we must get to the cross because the cross is the grand demonstration of God's love. For God demonstrated his love for us in this. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So there are many places to see the love of God. But here's the grand demonstration for all time. Romans 5, 8. Get to the cross if you would see and taste and drink in the love of God for you in Jesus Christ. And so it's then when my love for God and man is dimming that we must get to the cross. Lead me to Calvary and leave me there. Leave me there until 
from the heart, I can say I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene. And I wonder how he could love me, a sinner, condemned, unclean. Oh, how marvelous, how wonderful is my Savior's love for me. That's where love begins, folks. Love for him. Love for others. Jesus, keep me near the cross. That beautiful, that terrible cross. Keep me near until once again my heart burns under the spell of God's love. You see, we, we simply don't live right and love right unless we're regularly being filled with God's love for us. Unless it's, it's melting our hearts and holding sway in our hearts. So to be growing in the grace of love, we, we need to ever be going deeper into God's love for us to understand more of the, the width and length and height and depth of the love of God. So let's just, in the time remaining, just step into this Trinitarian love at Calvary. Consider, child of God, God the Father's love for you there. Having loved you from eternity past, choosing you, predestining you in love to be adopted as his children, to be one of his holy people, he then showed his love among us by sending his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. He sent him to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins that might propitiate his wrath and turn it away from us by him taking it for us. God sent him to do that for us. So consider the Father's love for you in Gethsemane and Golgotha as Gethsemane is, is, is merely the shadow of the cross spilling back in time a few hours before he gets to Golgotha. And consider the Father's love as he, as he sees his only, one and only beloved son deeply distressed and troubled and can be heard talking to his disciples my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. The hellish cross is just now hours away and is coming into clearer perception in the mind of our Savior. And he falls to ground under the weight of the thought of it. And he prays, Abba, Father, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Yet, not as I will, but as you will. So, fathers, can you see something into the father, uh, an avenue into the father's heart as you think of, of this? Here he is, God the Father. Seeing his son that he loves and delights on the ground, deeply distressed, sorrowing to the point of dying, sweating bullets of blood. And asking, Father, if it's possible, take this cup from me. What are the Father's options? Well, it's to spare him the cup of God's wrath and to have us drink it for eternity. Or to spare us the cup forever and to have his beloved son drink it on the cross. It's his only option. Spare him or spare us. And in love, he chose to spare us over his son. Romans 8, 32, he did not spare his
his own son, but gave him up for us. Now that's love. It's love like you find nowhere in the universe, but in God. And here it's God the Father. Oh, what love. How deep the Father's love for us. And in that prayer that night, as Jesus was talking to the Father, he says that, that Lord, you're doing all of this uh, to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them just as you have loved me. I wouldn't believe that if the Son of God hadn't said it. To say that God the Father loves us, his adopted sons, just as he loves his one and only Son. What more could he give to convince us of his love? He had nothing better to give. He emptied heaven of its choice gift. So we think of Calvary from the perspective of God the Father and we see love pouring out upon us there, choosing to spare us instead of his own son. But then think of, think of it from God the Son's perspective and think of his love for you there. Think of his love there in Gethsemane as he felt this upcoming terror of the cross of being crushed by God's infinite wrath, abandoned by his Father, Forsaken, left alone, without any felt support of his love. And he cries out, if there's any other way, Father, please, please. But if not your will, not mine. On the cross, the bystander shouted, come down from the cross and save yourself. Jewish religious leaders mocked his claim to be the Savior. He saved others? Ha! He can't even save himself. Let this king, this Christ, this king of Israel then come down from the cross that we may see and believe. Okay, what are the choices? What are the options for the Son of God? Well, save yourself. Save yourself. Which he could have done with a word and called 10,000 angels and destroyed the world and saved himself. But if if, if he saves himself, then we're lost forever in hell. So it's either save yourself or save them. It's only options. And it was because he so loved us that he chose to save us over himself. The Son of God loved me and gave himself for me. What more did he have to give? Himself. What love to take my hellish cross and give me his heaven. And Octavius Winslow said that he loves us the same today. So much so that he would do it all over again if it was needed. Blessed be God is his once, once for all death was sufficient to satisfy God's wrath and to win heaven for all who trust in him. But the point is, his love is still as strong today as it was that day when he chose out of love to save you instead of himself. Love divine, all loves excelling. Greater love has no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. And you are my friends if you do what I I command. 
And he laid down his life for us when we were enemies and made us his friends by his loving sacrifice. And then there's the Holy Spirit's love for you. And we don't have as much uh, scripture on that fact, but Hebrews 9 and 20, uh, Hebrews 9, 14 says, How much more then will the blood of Jesus, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God, which tells me that the Holy Spirit was upholding the humanity of the Son of God. Just to keep him there, to keep him on the cross. Through the eternal spirit, he offered himself up. And the same Holy Spirit came to us God-haters, which is Romans 8, 7 calls us, came to us God-haters in our lifetime and melted our hearts and quickened us to new life, opened our blind eyes so that we could finally see how lovely Jesus is, who, who we didn't have any desire to follow. But, but now to see him and, and to offer ourselves in faith, And he wooed us, the Spirit, the loving Spirit, wooed us to the Savior. And he now reads with us the Holy Scriptures and he says, look at him. Look at his love. Where have you ever seen love like that, John? Look at the Father's love. You see, he's the loving Spirit and and he loves us and, and he sheds abroad the love of God in our hearts. He convinces us of it. He He works on us so that, yes, I see it. And it grips us, it grabs us, and we're held in the the grip of Calvary love. That's the Spirit. He's loving us. So this is the blessed fellowship of Trinitarian love that we've been brought into through God's work of salvation. All love in us starts here in the God who is loved and who's loved us when unlovely. And only through this love of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit do we even begin to love God and our fellow man. Only from him do we even know what love is. It's what First John tells us. This is how we know what love is. God sent his one and only Son into the world for us. We wouldn't even know what love is. His love defines love. We wouldn't even know how to love. What, what do you mean love? Uh, We've got to start with his love. Only from him do we have any of this love in our hearts, any power to love like he loves. So to know and experience his love is a life-changing thing that just goes on and on and on until one day we see him as he is. and, And all lack of love is immediately filled up in our hearts and we will love perfectly in that New heavens and new earth, the world of love. Will you be there? Will you enjoy that? I mean, you, you, you've lived in this world that's hating and being hated. Will you be in that place where there's nothing but love? We'll come to Calvary and, and see God's love in his bleeding son. Trust in him. Repent of your sin. You have been bored with that love. You have yawned at that love. You have been so underwhelmed by that love that you've walked past it year after year. All repent of such evil. This is the greatest love in the universe. Repent that it meant nothing to you. Look again at that Savior and be drawn this morning. Come to him this morning.
and cast yourself, throw yourself upon his love. He turns none away that do. The Lord's love was very evident this week in our family, and I'll close with this. On Monday, uh, Julie had an ultrasound, my daughter Julie, and it revealed two areas of concern in the little boy that she's carrying, and it seemed that the little guy's heart was not functioning properly, as well as other problems. But that was the problem of her firstborn, Maya, that had her in the hospital for six months when she was born and open heart surgery and all the rest. And so we couldn't help but think, oh, no, does this little guy have what she has? So they got her into a specialist this Thursday for a closer look of what was happening. And I was at home, and she called with the results. And I must tell you, I was holding my breath, bracing for the worst. And then she said, Dad, there's nothing wrong. His heart, all four chambers are working perfectly. Everything's where it should be. I don't mean to tell you. That, that brought me down. God's love. He remembers that, that we're just dust. He knows our frame. He knows how much trial we can take. And he measures out our trials accordingly. So great his love. I just had to get out of the house and walk and thank him. But I want to tell you, never did I feel thank you to be so hollow. So inadequate. I I was so overwhelmed with his kindness, his love, and thank you. Yeah, okay. That's all I have, but then that's all I can give. We can't pay him back, but I, I felt so thankful that the words sounded so insufficient. As I poured out my thanks to the Lord, I, I thought, John, if such temporal mercies move you to love that God, should you not be like that every day? You were on death row. You were a sinner under God's judgment. You had everlasting weeping and wailing and gnashing of your teeth to look forward to the moment you died. Jesus so loved you that he said, I'll take it instead of you. I say, why am I not melted in thankfulness and gratitude at that love and loving him in return like I was for this precious temporal mercy. Oh, these are everlasting mercies that are all of ours who are in Christ. And Isaiah, or Isaac Watts, when he, he surveyed that wondrous cross and the love that he saw on that cross, he said, were the whole realm of nature mine. That were a present far too small. I, I felt my thank you was so small. And, and Watts says, when I survey the wondrous cross, I feel like if, if I own the whole universe, that would be a present far too small. 
Love so amazing that I see there. Love so divine that I see there. Demands my soul, my life, my all. My all. So let's give him our all. Let's give him our love. Let's dwell on his cross. Let's let his love fan ours. We want to close by singing of that love. Here is love. Here is love at at Calvary's cross. Stand with me as we sing it. And let's pour out our love to our Savior. Our loving Father, thank you for grounding us, rooting us, and establishing us in your love. Loving Spirit, would you then give us power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of God. This love that is beyond knowing, give us to know more of it till we are filled to the full with the fullness of God, until we love with his love, both him and our fellow man. So we thank you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.